You're listening to a Count Out Podcast. And welcome to another episode of Your Dose of Death podcast. As always, I'm Lauren. Um, as always, joined by my co-host, Mike. And as you see in front of us, we have a very special guest. I know you guys have been wanting interviews for the longest time now again. Haven't done them in a while, but lo and behold, we have a very special guest. A man who his reputation precedes him. He is a recent inductee of the gcw deathmatch hall of fame truly a legend of the genre a man whose story is as incredible as himself um i'm absolutely honored to be introducing mr insanity himself toby klein welcome to the show my friend how are you oh i'm doing great thank you well it is so awesome to have you here and uh, Mike, I want you to kind of tell the story of how, about how you two have been in contact to make this incredible moment happen. Um, sure. I so um, Toby was inducted into the GCW Deathmatch Hall of Fame uh, back in June for Tournament of Survival, and I thought he, out of everybody who was inducted uh, in the last couple of years, I was really just moved by his induction his speech and his video package i thought everything was awesome and a lot of the stuff that he had to say i thought was so important so i uh last week um just felt like writing something about getting more information about his story so i reached out to um a bunch of people and i got put into contact uh, with toby through uh deathmatch referee john gray uh and then we got to texting and um toby was very very kind enough to uh, gave me a ton of quotes about his life and his story about becoming a, a professional wrestler and, and where he's at now. And we were able to create a, an article for him to feature on the Kings Road page. Um, and then I reached out to him again a few days ago and was like, hey, we have a podcast uh, if you wanted to come on. And uh, he was more than more than happy to come on. And we actually got uh, him into touch with Steve Coleman of um, snack season hot sauces. Uh, so, you know, Toby will be, uh, I don't know if we can release it, but, uh, doing some work with Steve in the near future. And, um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you the, the past couple of weeks. Um, so thank you for, thank you again for coming on. And I'm, I'm very excited to have this conversation. Um, th- thank you, Mike, for getting this done. This is an absolute honor. And I mean, one thing I want to start off with, so I know, Toby, one of your tag team partners was Brain Damage, who was one of my personal all-time favorites. Um, and I kind of wanted to ask you to start off, do you have any just like great moments with him? Maybe not as the wrestler, but as the person. Yeah, I had a lot of road trips with him. A lot of times uh he started at the wrestling school that I started at in early 97 mid 97 maybe and uh we traveled all over the u.s together we wrestled 
for uh, promotions all over. And we were usually against each other. We usually wrestled each other and we would travel from, uh, we were both in the Mansfield, Ohio area. Um, In fact, he was called random. He was called uh, fortune pain when he started. (laughs) And he was random pain, a local wrestler. He was his younger brother, gimmick brother. And uh, he was called Fortune Payne. And we wrestled in Detroit for Malcolm Monroe Sr. Uh, the DBA from Detroit, it was his father, ran a promotion up there. And uh, during the match, Brain Damage did a dive over the top rope, and his feet caught on the top rope. And he did a Superman dive right onto his head on the floor. Oh. And to me, on the outside of the ring, didn't get to him in time. It looked like it paralyzed him the way his his head and neck hit the the way his head hit the floor and his neck t- twisted. So of course I picked him right up and rolled him in the ring, and um, we went to the finish. And then uh, on the car ride home, he was breathing awfully funny and seemed like he was hurting. And he looked at me and he says, "I think I got brain damage tonight." And then he says, "You know what? That's a, I like that. I think I'm going to use that as my name now." So even in the pain, he was able to come up with a character. Uh, he was just—he was a lot smarter than what people gave him. I've credit. never heard of that before. I've yeah, never heard was, that either. That's an incredible story. He was—he uh, was a good guy. He was very kind. He—he—he uh, he, he always—he would give you a shirt off his back. He was friendly. He was kind. He—he just—he was soft-spoken. And then when you got him in the ring, he was one of the toughest guys you could ever be in there with. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always admired just his tenacity in the ring. I mean, he had such incredible matches. It was funny. I was watching TOD five with you brain damage and Necro, of course, Necro butcher. You two had a plethora, a hell of a rivalry dating back from, um, the turn of death in 2003, as we talked about off air, and then 2004, of course, both infamous fans bring the weapons matches. Um, a question I have about those matches, was there anything in particular that you had to do to like prepare for someone like Necro Butcher, who is notorious for throwing really hard punches? And as you can see, even to today's standards, like one of the hardest throwers in wrestling today. Was there anything you had to do in particular? <laughs> well, there was many times that me and Necro would find a, a a quiet spot away from everybody else, and we would uh, be partying until the mat, right up till bell time. We would, uh, <laughs> like I know at, at CZW at ECW Arena, there was a back part of the arena with like it was like another ring. There was an empty part of the arena, like out of view of everybody and it had a ring back there and we would go sit behind the ring and just party all the way up until it was our time but uh, yeah i guess we would uh, get into different forms of debauchery before the match <laughs> um i gotta <laughs> ask you though i don't know i just i thought that style of fighting was better i liked being more physical and more intense so i it was a perfect for that time in my life, it was a perfect opponent for me because I would much rather do that stuff than have to sell for somebody that wasn't really laying stuff in for me. Uh, I liked, uh, I liked working him because 
you knew you were in there you knew you were in a fight in the crowd you could hear the it didn't bother me because i had been partying before the show and the crowd was reacting the way they were so then my adrenaline was going and i didn't notice that he was knocking my teeth out or uh or leaving bruises on me i didn't really notice man um i gotta ask you about the vcr incidents um, I got a question. To, okay, go ahead, Mike. Follow up that. Well, I don't know if I'm like delayed a little bit with no, the, the microphone, little, but, but you're... Um, you know, we won't we won't get too much into. Okay, uh, we won't get too much into you know this uh, how how Toby got started. Uh, that's you know um, listed on, on on various websites, and 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 you guys can look at that. Uh, I I do have a maybe a difficult question regarding. Uh, some of the things that you just said, um, and and for those that don't know, Toby is a um, an addiction addiction counselor um, right now, and um, you know he has uh, gone on record multiple times stating that uh, he would help any professional wrestler who's just struggling with addiction right now get into contact with uh, with services or or himself. Um, the question that I had is, why do you think that deathmatch wrestling in particular has, has sort of more of a drug problem or, or an alcohol problem than, than other forms of wrestling. Do you think it's because of some of the stuff that they're doing or is it, there's just a culture surrounding it. Um, I know that you would have a, a better uh, firsthand knowledge of that. There really is kind of a culture around it from the fans in the crowd partying before those events to the wrestlers all partying while they're discussing what kind of crazy stuff they're going to do. Yeah. It's just, it, the whole thing yeah i i agree it's a it's a culture yeah the whole the whole process from partying with the fans to uh getting numb if you will before you go out there and do it some of the guys can do it without without partying but majority of them did yeah i don't know so much now i'm not traveling with those guys now so mm-hmm. yeah um once in a while so... I hear about somebody, once in a while now i hear about somebody hey you need to reach out to to this guy and so i'll reach out to the person or to somebody that i know will get the message hey toby wants to talk to you and if they're ready they'll talk to me if not they won't i've had some reach back out to me and i've had some that aren't wanting to talk to me so Mm -hmm. is what it is i look at a lot of the stuff that they're doing today and uh i just can't imagine how you would cope with that pain but even you know um back in the era that you were in with uh you know king of the death matches and, and czw the stuff that they were doing back then in my opinion was like just like 10 times more brutal than than today like i i just like how the hell did you get through that like um some of the spots were just mind-blowing and, and all the guys were taking like brutal brutal damage i just it's just like props to you for for coming out on top it's just it's it's crazy yeah, I know I had uh, torn my ACL. We had talked about that a little earlier. I had torn my ACL in 2004, and I had told Ian Rotten before King of the Death 2004 that I didn't think I could do it because of how bad my knee was. And he's like, ah, you'll be with Necro. You'll be okay. <laughs> so uh... how many times... How often do you hear, okay, you're wrestling Necro, you'll be okay. You'll be good. <laughs> well, we really were, you know. It, it worked out. Um, a question I have um, 
and I mean, for those of you who've listened to his um, induction at the G- uh, G7 Deathmatch Hall of Fame, um, as Mike's mentioned, like you are now a, a counselor, you've reached out to wrestlers. Um, what made you like what started for you to get into that kind of profession and to be able to say, I want to help other people that were in my shoes once? What, what started this idea for you? Repeat that one more time. I had a glitch on my screen. Oh, no worries. Um, I was just curious with the fact that you're now like a rehab counselor that now you're really advocating for, um, for like rehab um, and like helping other professional wrestlers get through what you went through. Like what made you want to do that? What, what started it for you to decide I want to help other people in this way? Definitely re- going through it myself and recovering in uh, late 2012, shortly brain damage died in October of 2012. And so Shortly after that, I finally, I finally got it. Um, what made me decide to finally get it was the comment that my wife had made to me. Um, she said something to me that I knew wasn't her speaking. You hear a lot of times in like 12 step and people have their own personal relationship with a higher power. Well, she made a comment that I knew was not of her that I knew that it was a higher power trying to reach me directly, if that makes sense. And uh, I thought about that comment for quite some time. And, and it finally started to, uh, to um, register that I needed to change what I was doing. And uh, I got into rehab myself. I got into treatment myself and I stayed in treatment all the way up until I started doing schooling to become a counselor. And with other people suggesting I follow through with that route, I did. And uh, my best counselor ever is sit- sitting right beside me here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think I would have made it had everything not been lined up the way it was. My uh, my wife was definitely the main motivator. Brain damage passing that was a big that was a big part of it. What's that? What about him? Um, yeah, but I I was I was a supporter for others to get into like uh, medically assisted treatment because that worked for me. I know some people can abuse it, but I was a advocate for it because it, I did it correctly. And I know if other people do it correctly, it's it's helpful. And then. Uh, 12-step meetings are helpful for some. Church is helpful for others. There's all these different ways people can go, all these different paths, but just finding, helping somebody find which path is the right path for them, that's uh, part of the process, helping someone realize which path is going to help them. Maybe it's a combination of all of them, but, uh, yeah, just trying to help people find which way is going to work best for them to get them into recovery. Oh, yeah. I, th- I, th- I think that's really good that you mentioned that there's different ways of recovery. And I think that's something that isn't talked about much anymore. Everyone thinks there's like one way or the other. And I think you bring up a really good point that people have different ways 
to their own recovery. And you went through that literally, literally went the whole nine yards basically. And now are advocating for professional wrestlers. And um, just a follow-up to that as well. Um, how can people get in touch with you? And is it just for wrestlers or is it anyone can contact you? I think anyone can get a hold of me. I, uh, at the Hall of Fame, I was directly talking to the wrestlers that were there um, or that may have been watching. But uh, yeah, fans, we've actually opened our home up for wrestlers to stay here and got them into treatment, got them moving, whether it was getting them on a Greyhound bus and getting them here or going and picking them up and bringing them here. But we've actually brought wrestlers here and then helped them get into, whether it be rehab or just counseling centers or doctors for medically assisted treatment. So, um, but yeah, I think um, my shoot job being a a drug and alcohol counselor at a, at a uh, place in Mansfield, Ohio, um, I actually work at three different offices. I work at a counseling center called Family Life Counseling, and it's in Mansfield, Ohio. And then there's also an office in Galleon, Ohio that I work at. And then uh, there's a church in downtown Mansfield, Ohio. And I have an office there on Tuesdays. That's where I was at today. And uh, it's more of a recovery faith-based program there. But uh, yeah, I work at uh, three different offices throughout the week. And I get to help people try all those different routes, whether it's a faith-based approach or a doctor medically assisted treatment approach or 12-step meeting approach. I have all those different options for people when they come. So, but yeah, most of the people I see are just regular. Some of them are right right out of prison. Some of them, they usually give me the hard people. Usually the people that just got out of prison, they send to me to work with. Um, At the, at the church that I work at, there's a lot, I notice there's a lot of homeless that come there because of uh, free uh, services that they can get there. So, I mean, I work with a large, um, not just wrestlers, not just wrestling fans. I I work with homeless people straight out of prison. I work with everyday construction workers, factory workers. I mean, it doesn't matter who it is. If they need recovery, I can try to help point them in the right direction. How um, big is your uh, faith with uh, your recovery? Uh, I know that we touched on that a little bit, but it seems that that plays a big part in your life right now. It it certainly does. Yeah, I uh, I wouldn't be here today uh, if if uh, I would not have had a message d- delivered directly to me through my wife. We think that I was a month away or less. I say a month away. She says two weeks. She says two weeks away from something tragic happening, uh, just mentally or physically. I was at the end. I was using overdosing all the time. Uh, I was. I mean, I've gained a hundred pounds. She would say, when we would argue, she would say, eat a cheeseburger because I was just, I was wasting away. Um, but uh, yeah, faith definitely played a huge part. And I often will uh, will speak at churches and, and give my testimony. And uh, I think uh, it's something I, I feel like I'm led to do now is, is share my, my faith and my testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, a question I have. Well, I apologize. Oh, no worries. There's a lot happening in here. I got, <laughs> a lot of moving parts. Kids entering and exiting the room. And oh, no worries. Don't Never have to it. apologize. Well, have a, we have a giant dog that keeps peeking in the window at me and staring at me. We have um, a sheep. So I do have a question. Um, 
So when you were announced for the GCW Deathmatch Hall of Fame, was that like your first time back, like around the Deathmatch environment? Or had you been back before your, um, after, I should say, after your, when did you retire technically from wrestling? It says here, I don't know if it's accurate, September 6, 2018. Okay, 2018. But I don't know. They did update your height, Toby. It says 6'4 now. <laughs> That's better. I'm on my tippy toes. That's better. <laughs> um, before it said I was six foot. It was all slunched over. Uh, um, um, yeah, but like, I was just curious with death, like with the fact you got I've had a couple. I've, I've had a retirements i did death matches off and on from 1998 until 2018 or 19 um i did retire in 2018 put the gloves in the middle of the ring and everything i came back once in 2019 i actually wrestled in czw when czw put me in their hall of fame in the summer of uh 2000 that was 2018 okay i did a death match there i wrestled uh tremont and cannonball matt tremont and jeff cannonball in a three-way and then they had put me in their hall of fame there um then i did a death match in 2019 i wrestled the dba in october of 2020 and then i did a match for icp at the gathering in july of 2020 july or august of 2021 so i've had a few little one night only returns uh i tried to retire in 2018 but i've had a few returns since then (laughs) what did the hall of fame now october and now october 15th of this year i'm uh scheduled to face madman pondo so we'll see how that goes (laughs) oh okay what did um being inducted into the GCW and CZW Hall of Fame mean to you um, just as a competitor? I was glad that people had taken notice of of what I had done. It was very special, yeah. I have a curio cabinet here at the house with those Hall of Fames in it. Yeah, I was very happy about that. Uh, 2013 XICW in Detroit, they put me in their Hall of Fame. And then... Uh, I was like a month or two sober when I did that one. And then when I did the CZW Hall of Fame, I was five years sober. And then now this newest one with GCW. It was a joke. A couple of people joked with me. They were like, you never even wrestled a match for GCW and, and you're in the Hall of Fame. So that's pretty good. You would kill it if you did. I was going to say that I would definitely pay for that. Um, I am curious also, like, I don't know how much of the current deathmatch scene you watch these days, but like, what are your impressions of the guys who are doing deathmatches now? And like, would you have any sage advice to give this new generation of deathmatch wrestlers? Hmm. They're going to do what they're going to do. Nobody could have told me anything when I was doing it, when I was all over and doing it. Um, I wouldn't have heard anybody's warnings or I would have done what I wanted to do. I enjoy watching some of them. 
Uh, I really enjoy Schlack's promos. I get a big kick out of his character. Um, some of the ICW pit matches are, are pretty good. Some of that stuff that Danny's putting out is, is really good. Um, what's the big guy with the mask? It looks like a deathmatch. Yeah, he's fun to watch. Um, man, Akira, he's fun to watch. I see a lot of these guys, and I'm like, man, I would have been fun to work him when I was in my front. <laughs> yeah. But you are... Um, Eric Ryan, know. he's fun to watch. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you at all, but uh, I know we should maybe promote this a little bit. You are having a return match uh, against Pondo. You did you did mention that it'll be next, next month uh, in Ohio. Uh, for everybody in the area and uh, I know you were kind enough to invite me as a guest and uh, yeah, I'm gonna try my best to come I'd really love to 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 have an opportunity to see you in person um you mentioned that you know you're doing the hot sauce challenge with me if you're there <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it definitely um you mentioned that before your matches in your prime you would hang out and party with with Necro that's how, that's how you get ready for for your matches how, how do you get ready for a match now with this new with this new sober life how do you get yourself in that mindset if you are doing some crazy spots or weapons or a death match what's what's your uh pre-match ritual now if you've watched any of my matches the last few years when i have had them i don't do that crazy stuff anymore <laughs> <laughs> you have taken some spots though that were pretty rough yeah i mean i've done some i guess it's more theatrics now for me uh it's uh the cell you know if you get yeah. uh, if something looks like it was crazy then you sell it to the to the extreme yeah maybe one big thing and then you sell it and then uh you don't have to do anything else you can lay over in the corner while everybody else does the crazy stuff or, <laughs> yeah I so just, calm down a little bit i really i really like uh terry funk in his older years when he would do something big he would really sell it and uh yeah, I, I I see under I understand why I I see why. Got it. Um, I do have a question for you about um, since you did travel a lot in the earlier days, what um I'm always curious what the locker room culture was like at the shows back in your day. I know in today's day and age, there's a lot of transparency about how like indie wrestling locker rooms are and we've heard from multiple wrestlers about it but i want to hear like what was your impression of the locker rooms you yourself were in back in like 2003 2004 2005 what was your impression of those locker rooms back in the day i regret not being more sociable with socializing with the guys more because like i said i'm sure i would grab one of the guys necro or one of the other guys that partied and we'd slip aside and we wouldn't talk to anybody for years i was like that i regret not being more socialize socializing more with the locker room because i just sort of did my own thing i know a lot of people told me later they were afraid to approach me People told me they're like, "Yeah, you just you and Necro went off in the corner. We don't want to bother you. We don't want to say hi or nothing." 
so I, I regret that that was the way they felt and that's the way I was I regret that um yeah it's interesting you bring that up I've, I've it's interesting because um I've heard from another wrestler how like um all these younger guys coming in they're like oh they think they know better so they don't talk to the veterans I think you know who I'm talking about Mike with um hmm. they're like oh like, they don't ask for advice on matches they don't ask for advice on like how to work things so it's interesting hearing even back then that sometimes people thought differently but um it is really interesting hearing your input about being more sociable in locker rooms and now look at you you're like you're working at three you're like working three different offices now and um i am curious you're very sociable now Toby, yeah by the way it's it's like a night you're very difference. easy to talk to yeah. um i i do have this question though um looking back at your past um what would you tell what would your current self like to tell your past self like is there anything you would change in the past if you had that opportunity i think if i would have taken my physical health more my mental health and my physical health more seriously i could have probably made a lot of money in the wrestling business whether it been in japan or or wwe I blew a lot of, I squandered a lot of opportunities because I was rather be partying than, than taking it seriously. Yeah, you're one of the biggest deathmatch wrestlers ever. So I would tell my younger Uh, self, I would tell my younger self to take it a little more seriously, knock off the, knock off the stupid stuff and take it seriously. What was it, Mike? You had a question? Well, I would just, uh, yeah, I do, but I, I definitely agree with what you said. You're you know, like six four uh, and huge. You're there's no there's pe- people aren't as big as you in the deathmatch scene now. Like uh, it's crazy. You're 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 a monster. Um, so I agree with that for sure. Um, no, I got to bring this cool. up. I've never met cruel um, person. Is he pretty? Is he six seven? Yeah, six? he's seven foot. He's legit. Dead. I've I've stood next to him. He is legit seven foot he has a good look i hope he stays uh, on track because he can make some money i bet he'd be big in japan i don't know if he's gone yeah. there yet i don't think so yet but i agree he would be a very big deal in japan i feel like if he went over there but i think he's very regional to his territory so i don't think he doesn't travel as much except for maybe icw from what i've been aware of Toby, I got to ask you this. Because I talked to Pondo um, in Dallas. We spent the whole weekend together, uh, went out to eat and everything. And I did an interview with him for my page. Uh, so I want to get your your point of view with the, the infamous pencil spot. <laughs> mm, it would have been at Tournament of Death 2005. Yeah. Did you think that was crazy at the time or were like, it's just looking back on it, it's nuts. I wanted to take scissors before we went out there and I wanted to snip off the the points off of all the pencils. I told him, I said, said, if it's in the ring, they're not going to be able to tell. Nobody on the outside of the ring will be able to tell that the, the points are gone. 
maybe get a shot of it in the locker room, have smart Mark record a shot of it on the, the floor with how sharp it looks and zoom right in on it. And then we can gimmick it and then take it out to the ring and nobody will know. But Pondo didn't want it touched. He wanted it taken out there the way it was. He didn't want anyone to mess with it. He didn't want me to cut the, the tips of the pencils off. He wanted it left the way it was. It's funny you mentioned scissors because one of the matches I watched of yours recently was the fans bring the weapons match at TOD five with you brain damage Necro and you took scissors to brain damages like his piercing. It was like on a pair his of eyebrow. Hemos. It was a pair of hemos and I snapped onto it. Oh my god. Did did you oh. think that was outrageous for the time? Or was it just like, <laughs> oh, just gonna snip off this this eyebrow piercing, no big deal. Most people would come up to me with an idea and I'd be like, all right. And then I would help them see that idea through all these, I, all these things that you're telling me about, like the pencils and the eyebrow, these were not my ideas. Other people brought this to me and I was like, yeah, we can, the VCR was my idea. Okay. But, the VCR uh, was your idea. Okay. The other stuff, the VCR was on the fly. I seen it laying there and I'm like, he's <sighs> giving me some good shots this match. Time for my uh, my comeback now. So yeah. uh, here it comes. Receipt. Yeah. And then I made Mike Burns do a funny dance. If you can see the uh, other clips, if you can see, they, there's one, uh, uh, maybe it's on YouTube where I've seen it, where it shows a bunch of different angles of the VCR hitting. Yeah, I've, I literally just watched that today. And you the guy's like losing it over Necro selling it. I'm like, how about the fact that Toby just threw that clean flush to the head? That is I caught him pretty good. I caught him pretty you good. You did. I caught him best yeah, but Nec- uh, Necro gets hit, and you can see in one of the views that Mike Burns is doing a funny dance. He's dancing all over. <laughs> and so that's why I watched it, just to see Mike do a dance when, he, when I hit Necro. Was there anything you said no to back then? There Either was, to you uh, doing or taking? I don't remember which deathmatch tournament it was, but somebody wanted to put me in the spiderweb deathmatch, like what J.C. Bailey and Pondo did. Oh, like a barbed wire spiderweb? Yeah, they wanted to do something like that, and I didn't I didn't feel comfortable with the bump from as high up as it was. Oh, and so okay. I, asked, I asked them to not put me in there. I said, these other guys may have something cool they would want to do. And to me, the only thing cool I could think of was doing like a throwing somebody from the top up there down and me watching from up above as okay. someone falls on it. And everybody wanted to see a double bump when they wanted to see two people go into it. And uh, I definitely didn't feel comfortable about that. So I told them it probably wasn't for me. Um, it was weird because whenever there was a high bump, I would either want to do it alone. I wouldn't want anybody falling with me. And an example of that that I can think of would be at. Uh, tournament of death 2006 i think it was me and brain damage and necro on a three-way oh yes and brain damage and myself were t- on top of the u-haul truck yes that's and right brain damage brain damage hip tosses me off of it and uh, i go off by myself yeah i do remember that and i was like oh interesting yeah so whenever i was up in a high spot like that i always wanted to either be throwing somebody or i wanted to take a fall by myself and uh somebody i think it was ohio hatchet wrestling but i'm not real sure i think it was a promotion that viper remember viper viper was not, fa- not familiar yeah, with i don't name. know that either 
to be honest. Uh, Deathmatch wrestler from like uh, West Virginia and Ohio. No, that's familiar. Um, I think it was his promotion or a promotion he was booking for, but uh, I didn't feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. What about the the glass back then? You were fine with all that. Uh, funny story about the glass. Uh, I had a knot on the middle of my back, and that kept getting bigger for years. And I think it was in my back from 2006 until 2019. Wow. But in September of 2019, I actually had to be hospitalized. Uh, I went to a doctor and they tried to remove it. And they said it was in my spine. They said we can't. The glass was in your spine? And there was an infection. Yeah, there was glass in my back and there was an infection. And so it was like the size of a softball on my back. Oh, my God. So I had to be hospitalized for several days, and they uh, they removed it. How, how did they like remove that? Like you're saying, the size of a softball the infection was. They drained it. They drained it. Okay. Yeah, they drained. And that's it. all from a light tube. They pulled little pieces of debris out, which was the, like little tiny slivers of glass, and then they drained wow. the fluid out. I'm sorry to bring that up, <laughs> but, I was, uh, but I did it with no. Tylenol, no. Cream. You know, yeah, you won't take a Tylenol. Yeah, I, I didn't. Salt, it's nuts. The only <laughs> thing they gave me, the only thing they gave me was antibiotics. Oh my goodness. Um, you, Toby, said, you're 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 stunned. And the doctor <laughs> said everybody always wants pain meds for that kind of stuff. He was surprised that I didn't want anything, so I had to then explain my story to him. I said, "I'm an addict. Don't give me anything. I'm a <laughs> I'm a drug addict. Don't give me anything." Oh my goodness. Um, seems like a lifetime ago. When I say that, it's weird because, I mean, it's ten years. February fourth will make ten years from anything. Um, it's coming up. Congratulations! Man. Congrats! And uh, it seems like so long ago, and it seems like just yesterday. It's weird. It seems like it was so long ago. Then other times, it I can remember it like it was yesterday. I got to get your thoughts on deathmatch tournaments. Like what was, how did you like them? Did you not like them? Like what was your thought process with tournaments itself? By the way, like, you have, you've been in deathmatch tournaments since 2001. I'm looking through this now. You've been in like a ton. King of the Two, Death 2000 was my first. Oh, you're one. right. Okay. Um, yeah. Me and brain damage rode together to IWA Mid-South. We showed up. An hour after the show started, we got there late. Typical fashion for me back in the day. I would always do that. And uh, Ian would not put us on night one, but he said if we hung out, he would use us in night two in a non-tournament match. So my first King of the Death was 2000. We were non-tournament the second night, and it was me versus brain damage. And I had lost my my ring gear. It was at an airport somewhere, and oh. I had no ring gear. I had to wrestle in street clothes that first king of the death but uh yeah then i did uh king of the death i won tod one um king of the death oh three king of the death oh four king of the death oh five oh six tournament of death 2007 tournament of death 2009 i think i did king of the death 2008 but i think it was a non-tournament I think I uh, was there for both nights, but it was non-tournament matches both nights. Um, 
then around 2010 or so, I didn't do any for a while. My addiction got really bad around 2010. And so I would miss a lot of bookings. I think I was untrustworthy to, to book. I don't think people wanted to take the chance. I know when I did a 10-year stretch there from 2000 to 2010, I did like doing the deathmatch tournaments because I would charge what I thought was fair, and then they would have me do multiple matches, so I would charge that per match. So that paid so much better than a regular. For a drug addict, that was a good deal. I was getting paid quite a bit of money for uh, to use that night. All my money was gone by the time I got home, but I was getting much more than I would have gotten regular matches. That is an interesting point you bring up. I mean, yeah, back then it's like I didn't I didn't think about that charging a different rate for death. Was it a different rate for tournaments versus a singles match? Just I would have a set price for a death a match. And they wanted me for multiple matches. I got times two, times three, whatever, however okay. they had me doing. Uh, after, you know, the 10-year stretch that you just described, uh, What's your most memorable one? I did, I did, I did uh, random death matches after 2010. Uh, like 2018, I did tournament of death. I think that was a non-tournament match. It was me and Trima and Cannonball. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if it was tournament match or non-tournament. But I did like tournaments here and there, but nothing, none of the main ones. It was smaller ones at that point. But what were you asking? What was a memorable tournament of death for your, me? Your most, your most memorable tournament in that 10-year stretch that you had. Or your favorite, maybe something that sticks out. I talked about it at the Hall of Fame. The first tournament of death, I was Nick Gage's first opponent in tournament of death. So that was... I guess pretty cool. Looking back at at the history of the TOD, I was the first first opponent for Nick Gage. Uh, I was the first guy to go to the finals three years in a row and King of the Death. Oh four, oh five, oh six. I was in the finals, and then I had uh, I had one oh five. So oh five was memorable to memorable to me because I had won it. Oh six and oh seven, I got to face brain damage each of those years. TOD oh six and TOD oh seven, brain damage was my opponent. So that was cool being able to work with him because he was a student of mine. So that was neat to be able to work him. In two thousand and five, you had a three way two hundred light tube final that you won with JC and Necro. Was that legit? I'm not sure. Any we'll fun say, stories about JC Bailey? I've always, I always yeah, hear really cool stories about JC Bailey. Question, yeah. Do, what is G, did you ask me for a JC Bailey story? Yeah, any cool stories about JC Bailey? You know, it was really neat. We went and did some um, uh, mission work in Kentucky last month. There was some bad flooding in Kentucky. And we went to this place that was Floyd County, Kentucky. It was about six hours south of here. And uh, we just randomly picked which way to go. 
we were like, all right, this road dead, dead ended. The flood was this whole stretch of road. We want to go left. We had supplies in our vehicle. And we're like, we want to go left or we want to go right. Let's try left. Nicole, you picked left, right? Yeah, because I'm a lefty. My wife picked left. <laughs> This is good pick. <laughs> good pick, yeah. So we come to this community center. Uh, Jack Horn, Kentucky. About 10 minutes from Virginia. And this town was leveled by flooding. Just a month earlier, less than a month earlier, three weeks earlier, the, the whole town of 200 people, the flood water was up to their roofs in the middle of the night. They had to climb out their windows and sit on the roof until people came and got them out of there. So we're uh, we're going door to door, handing supplies out, waters and toilet toilet papers and deodorants and stuff, whatever we could give them. And uh, we come to this community center with the remainder of our supplies, and we ask them, can we donate our supplies to them? And so we got to talking to the lady that ran it, and it was called uh, Black Sheep Oven. She was running a, a pizza shop there for the community, feeding the community. A lot of people didn't have power, and. Uh, so she's taking me around the building and I'm like, you guys got a gymnasium in this building. <laughs> and uh, I said, the first thing that pops in my mind is we do a charity wrestling show for the community. Okay. She's like, wow. She's like 20 years ago. They did that. Joe, a guy named Joe Bailey came here and did wrestling shows. And oh. I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, yeah. I was like, my son is named after him and his boy. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty crazy that the route we randomly picked that day to go drop supplies off to people. It was a connection to Joe Bailey. That's but, from uh, above for sure. But JC Bailey, he was a great guy. I got along good with him. Um, we were going to get married and we told him our idea of getting married in a wrestling ring. My idea. <laughs> My idea of getting married in a wrestling ring and and somebody went along with me for the <laughs> somebody somebody let me do it. And uh I asked uh, JC Bailey if he would be game to help us with that process and he was he was going to help us with that. He was going to bring his ring to wherever we needed it and uh he was going to let us get married in a wrestling ring. Oh, wow. Unfortunately, he passed away before we we were able to get married. Uh just roughly the same time as our boy was born my my uh son owen was born maybe a week or two before jc had passed away oh wow but uh yeah we uh we didn't get to use his ring but uh he was ready to bring his ring wherever we were to to get us married in a wrestling ring good guy i got along great with him his dad too i got along with joe senior also Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's, 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 that's really uh, cool. Awesome story. Yeah. Wow. Um, this has been in, such an incredible conversation with you, Toby. It, it was to me like so fun story on my end when Mike texted me. He's like, Toby Klein wants to do your dose of death. And I'm like, wait, did I read that right? I had to like make sure I was I double checked that I made sure I was the right person. And then like immediately I was like, absolutely. Like Literally, this has been like an absolutely incredible trip down memory lane. And I'm really glad you shared your story about overcoming addiction and now becoming this rehab counselor. As you've heard here, guys, like three different methods of work, three different offices. I, I think that's you're doing an incredible job 
with uh, being a counselor now. And I mean, I feel like back then um, I've always thought that I myself have struggled with mental health. And um, I went through my own battle with mental health back then, but um, hearing other stories and hearing through a counselor like yourself, it, um, it gives me solace in knowing that people are getting help out there. And so, uh, I mean, for me personally, thank you for what you do. Like, it's incredible what you do on the level you do it in such a wide scale too. Like there are counselors who maybe have their own regions or whatever, but you have such a wide net. Like sometimes that you don't really hear about that. And I think it's just an incredible story. So I, I really commend you and thank you for sharing that story, Toby. Thank you. Thank you. It was my yeah, pleasure think- living it. i think your hall of fame speech really uh was very impactful um and i I always do whenever i speak i do speaking engagements and i've spoken at prisons i've spoken at churches at rehabs at schools i've done speaking i try to get speaking gigs wherever i can and uh i always do them on the fly i never prepare anything i just go up there and start talking and that was what i did then I just went up and started talking. And, I love um, that. I remember Deranged, who was inducting you, having kind of a hard time. But, I mean, it was really awesome that night that we all kind of came together to support him as well when he was when he was inducting you. So I thought that, like, made the moment all the better, honestly. Like, the camaraderie of the deathmatch community, really in, like, one moment. That sometimes doesn't go – I remember – when I was there, I was like, this is really awesome. And all. I didn't hear many people talk about it, but I'm like, this is the coolest freaking moment you could possibly have. Like, one of your good friends get inducting you. We're, like, getting him the support. And then you go up and you may put on this incredible induction speech that really moved. I think I, I – there was, it was a really silent crowd when you spoke. I remember that night vividly. And I was like, this is the cool – I remember saying to myself, this is the coolest induction speech I've ever heard in my life. Like, I remember that. Mm. I like uh, wife beaters. Beaters. Short and sweet. Short and sweet. That was, that was great to catch up with him. My first time ever at, uh, at uh, ECW Arena was against him. So uh, it was great being able to work with him years ago. I- as, as we're kind of like wrapping up here um again thank you so much for coming on this has been absolutely incredible to have you on and just share your story and just share go down uh memory lane as well um is, do you have any advice for anyone who is struggling with mental health or anyone who is struggling with addiction who may or may not be listening to this right now like do you have any just simple words of advice People are out there that can help. Um, don't wait until you are thinking doing something drastic. Uh, 80 wrestlers. I wish that wasn't true. 80 wrestlers that I've been in the ring with have either uh, died from suicide, heart attack, brain aneurysm, overdose, murder. And none of them were old. None of them had died of old age. Um, They would have reached out for help. It would have been there for them, and it would have saved them 
every one of them. Time and time again, it happens. And if they would have just realized that there's people out there that they could reach out to for help, they don't have to fight their struggle alone. There's people out there that uh, can help them. I think that's a really good place to stop, Toby. This has been an absolute honor having you on. This is, again, for anyone listening to this, just know that you are not alone in this battle, that you are not alone in the good fight of just um, taking care of yourself. And I think, Toby, you're an absolute inspiration to anyone mm-hmm. who's listening to this and anyone who has, go, has gone through the same thing you've gone through. Um from the bottom of my heart, thank you for sharing your you. story, Toby. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And, yeah, thank uh, you, Toby. I, I hope that uh, we stay in touch and get to see each other again. And uh, it's mental, or it's mental, the world to me that you uh, that we've been able to talk and that you came on. Does uh, Pondo? You said Pondo watches your show, or he comes on your show? Pondo and I are uh, yeah Pondo is a follower of my page um, and we became friends in Dallas um, so we'll work on Pondo we will I can tell him anything you want me to tell him either <laughs> Pondo if you're watching this show Saturday October 15th in Besiris Ohio Crawford County Fairgrounds I'm going to splay and flay your skull like a rotted pumpkin that is okay that is a great way to end this show um thank you guys for listening to this thank you guys for watching this from lauren and mike and from our new dear friend toby klein thank you guys so much have a good rest of your day night whenever you're listening to this or watching this thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of your dose of death This has been a Countout Podcast.